awesome in glory, working wonders. For the Lord Most High is awesome, the great King over all the earth. I want to welcome you here this morning, and if you're here as a guest and this is your first time at Creekside Church, we're just grateful that you're worshiping with us this morning. And for even for our regular attenders, there is uh, in the bulletin, there's a separate flap there. So if you're a guest, if you'd fill that out and we could get your information, we'd sure appreciate it. You just put it in the little pouches as they go by later in the offering. And if you are part of our church family, you have a prayer request or concern or input there, uh, if you'd put that in there, we'd sure appreciate that as well. A few things I want to bring to your attention as far as announcements go. First of all, we're getting ready for gearing up for our annual Easter egg hunt, which is an outreach that the church does in the area in our community. And so there's information in the bulletin, and we're collecting eggs, we're collecting candy, and we're asking you to be praying in anticipation of uh, that big event as an opportunity for us to reach out into the community uh, that the communities that we serve to think about and pray about who you might want to be inviting. Also, there are plenty of other announcements in the bulletins, things that are coming up. So just uh, I am a firm believer that those who don't listen, don't read, and those who read, listen. So I'll let you read it. So you can uh, read it and take, take advantage of it. I'd like you to pray with me if you would. Father, as we have sung about Jesus, the cornerstone, the one who makes the poor rich, through whom we can enter, into the presence of God, I pray that you would open our eyes to the truths of your word. I pray that we would see these truths from your text for what they are, the word of God. May you take the things that I say and may you communicate what you need to communicate to each one here this morning. In spite of the human instrument, may the word of God and the truth of God and the power of God work to transform us into the image of God. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you just took a brief glance at Twitter or Facebook or you went on one of the major news TV websites and looked at the headlines, or perhaps if you read the newspaper headlines, it wouldn't take you long to realize that the, the world is pretty messed up. Uh, there's just a lot of stuff going on. Uh, there, there is evil, and I'm talking about very virulent, uh, very deadly forms of evil that are not just 
accepted, but oftentimes celebrated and promoted. And I'm just going to give you a few examples of the kinds of evil that is so prevalent in our society and in our culture and around the world. I think about the killing of innocent lives. Back in January of 2019, uh, there were about 20 people that were killed by Muslim extremists in the Philippines at a church. Just recently, there were dozens of uh, Muslims that were killed in a mosque in Christchurch, New Zealand. There's the infanticide, which is uh, prevalent in our culture today. I was thinking several years ago, decades ago, decades ago, the atrocities and the horrors of the Holocaust were so grievous that the people in the world committed and vowed that those types of things would never take place again. And yet, the atrocities and the cruelty and the barbarism that we have known as the Holocaust is our current reality. I think I mentioned it last week that the New York legislature celebrated the passage of a bill in which Abortion becomes legal in the state of New York up to and including the time of giving birth. Since 1973 and the verdict of the Roe versus Wade decision, 55 million about innocent lives have been taken. And we thought 6 million was bad enough. And it was. It's horrible. And you think about abuse that takes place. About 21 million, primarily women and young girls, are victims of human trafficking in the world in which we live. Assault on Christian values. I just heard this week that Azusa Pacific University, which is a traditionally Christian university, has decided that they're going to rescind their traditional perspective on Christian behavior and conduct to cave into and allow and permit the sexual revolutionaries of the LGBTQ plus decide how conduct should be taking place on their campus. These are the kinds of things that are all around us. I don't think it's a secret that the, the, the wickedness around us is, is prevalent and it's, it's palpable. You can feel it and it parallels the kind of wickedness that the man that we're going to look at this morning, the life in which he lived, the circumstances that surround his life. Last week we looked at Enoch. Today we're going to look at Noah. And the, the per perversion that is present in our culture is very, very, very much like what they experienced in their culture. And God holds up Noah, as he did Enoch, as one of those three people of whom it is said in the Bible he walked with God. As a shining light, an example, a model for those of us who face our own troubles and our own trials and our own difficulties in a world that's just as decadent as the world in which these people lived. So we have this example of Noah, the next man in the line of those who lived a life of faith that God, through the writer of the author of Hebrews, holds up to us as an example. A source of comfort, a source of courage, a source of hope for us so that we can deal with and we can dispel and then we can also ultimately realize we can be delivered from the darkness in which we live. 
And so I invite you to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to read verse 7, which is the uh, statement about Noah that's here. is his example that's shared in verse 7. It provides us three lessons about genuine faith that entice us to want to possess it and practice it as a means of dealing with and dispelling the darkness that's all around us. By faith, the text says, Noah, by faith, Noah, being warned by God about things which have not been seen or had not been seen, in reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which comes from God by faith, or according to faith. By faith, Noah. And there we have it. And so we have these three lessons that we're going to draw out of the text. And the first lesson that we learn about authentic faith is that the attitude of authentic faith is one of reliance. And there are two things that we see in the text, two ways that authentic faith relies upon God or demonstrates a reliance. First of all, authentic faith accepts God's word. It accepts God's word. Back in Genesis, and you, I'm not going to turn there, but you can refer to Genesis chapter 6, okay? Back in Genesis chapter 6, the text tells us that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. As a righteous man, blameless in his time, Noah walked with God. I said last week when we were talking about Enoch, to walk with God is to live in an, a way in which we show we commune with God. And we demonstrate our submission to God in all that we do and say. Noah was a righteous man, blameless by virtue of his faith. That's what it tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, right? That he was righteous because his faith. By faith, he was proclaimed righteous. He became righteous by faith. So he was righteous, and his righteousness was brought on to him because of his faith. He was made righteous by faith, okay? His living faith, he was made righteous. And by his active faith, he was declared to be blameless. That's Noah. He's a guy that we can hold up. So here he is in the, in the pit of perversity. He's held up as a shining light, this beacon on a hill to uh, show and shine on the darkness and to show us how we can live. Even we can live like he did by faith in the midst of a really bad situation. And he accepted God's word. God said, God warned him, said, hey, yeah, I want you to build this ark. Warned by God. His, God was so impressed by Noah's faith and because of his faith, he said, I'm going to talk to this guy. So he warned him. And he said, hey, look, I'm going to ruin the earth, going to flood it and destroy it, judge the people. I just want you to build an ark. Really? And he accepted it. Noah just, he didn't, he didn't balk. He didn't hold back as, uh, when God was prompted to speak to him. He warned him about things not yet seen. Wasn't that the definition of faith? The conviction 
of things not seen, the conviction that he would be delivered, and the, the evidence of things not seen, and the conviction of uh, that which is hoped for, which is that he would be delivered, and also that the world would be judged. These are things that he hadn't seen, and he hoped for. He hoped for the deliverance of his family, and he had never thought about the fact that the world would be judged, and he said, okay, I believe that. Now, if I'd have told you on Thursday morning that either Iowa State or the University of Iowa men's basketball team was to win the NCAA National Tournament Championship this year in 2019. That would be something unseen, okay? Never, it's just not, 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 not seen. But you would believe that. You would have to have the conviction of that which is not seen, the evidence of not seen, the conviction of that which was hoped for, depending upon who your team is. Noah's acceptance as fact, the things not yet seen, illustrates and validates this definition of faith. He had conviction about the things unseen, the coming judgment. He convinced that that would happen and evidence that he would be delivered, that God would bring this worldwide flood to save his family. Now, you know, it, when you think about what God told Noah to do, it's kind of remarkable. I'm going to flood the earth. Okay, well, never really been rain on the earth, so I'm not sure how that's going to happen. Or at least we, some believe it. You can go uh, March 20, April 24th, 25th, and 26th, you can go up to Faith Baptist Bible College. Rod has some stuff, information out at the table about a creation science uh, seminar that's going to take place up there. And you can hear about this, but I think the, one of the perspectives is that in the pre-flood world, there really was no rain. It was kind of like a greenhouse effect that the the, the waters just kind of took care of things and it just kind of there's no rain so no I want you to there's going to flood the earth no rain not sure how that happens where there's a flood when there's no rain and they didn't even mention the fact that the earth would open up and water would come gushing out from the earth and I want you to build a boat not just any boat I want you to build a big boat I mean a really big boat like a barge like a boat that's 450 feet long and a boat that's 75 feet wide and 445 feet tall with 96,000 square feet in it. That's the boat I want you to build. That's what God told Noah to do. That's pretty radical. I heard this week, did you know what the number one reason why people are going to see plastic surgeons is now? Now, don't just answer that a question in your head. I don't want any out loud things, okay? That could be embarrassing, okay? You know. Number one reason why people are going to see plastic surgeons now. Here's the, here's the answer that was given. To improve their looks when they take selfies. Yeah, because when you take a selfie, your nose gets big, see? So you have to kind of remedy that. Yeah, because the, the camera focuses on what's closest to it. So, you know, kind of... Seriously, that's what it is. In our self-absorbed, self-seeking, self-indulgent world, we're all about us. To do anything that God says is as ludicrous to this generation as... Building an ark was to Noah and the people of his day. Children, obey your parents? Really? 
No. I mean, some kids are suing their parents these days. You know, seriously, it's crazy. Love your enemies. Pray for them. Do good for them. Forgive those who sin against you. These are the kinds of things that God tells us. Genuine faith accepts the veracity, accepts the validity, and accepts the authority of God's word and does what God says regardless. Acceptance of God's word demonstrates our reliance, our reverence for God's word. The text says in reverence he built the ark. Noah acted on the most unimaginable, the most unusual, and the almost most impossible statements of God because of his reverence for God. Now, those of us from Des Moines area, when we're traveling east on 235 towards the downtown, we have extreme reverence for these little signs that say, speed limits photo enforced. It's, I mean, it's interesting, I haven't lived here very long, but it's interesting when you're driving downtown and you see somebody from out of state, they're just whizzing by. And I'm going, not so good for you. Reverence for the law. Uh, you know, some statement on a sign. He had reverence for God. Genuine faith accepts what God says, the validity of it, the authority of it, and the veracity, the truthfulness of it, without question. Secondly, we see that uh, authentic faith is not just a matter of an attitude of reverence, but it's an action of obedience, and the two go hand in hand. It's an area where he was miles from any body of water. This took approximately, well, a little over a century of his life. A century, not a decade, a century of his life. It involved the, the most massive accumulation of material products you could ever imagine. Think about the, the trees. It wasn't that he went down to Menards and ordered the lumber. No, he had to go get the stuff. And who's going to help him with the stuff, despite all of the questions he might have had? What is rain anyway, God? How is it I'm going to get these supplies? Who's going to take care of me and my family while I'm working on the ark? I'm supposed to be out gathering and, and growing stuff to feed my own family. And by the way, who's going to help me with this project? And what about all the people that are going to laugh at me and scorn at me and mock me because I'm building a boat in the middle of the desert? It's a remarkable demonstration of living faith and faithful living. It provides me, it provides us, I think, with a source of comfort and a source of courage that no matter what the trouble I face, no matter because my situation is unique, what God calls me to do is different than what God called Noah to do. What he calls you to do is different than what he called Noah to do. But it still takes courage, it still takes faith in a world that is Dead set against us in the midst of the darkness. How do we live in this kind of a life? He holds him up as a, a model for subsequent generations. You say, we're supposed to trust God. Trust and obey regardless of what others say. Even what God asks us to do is in irrational, unreasonable, politically incorrect, Monumental. Faith is reliance upon God out of reverence that translates into unflinching obedience. 
It's reliance out of reverence that translates into obedience. And we don't question it. Belief determines behavior. Attitude determines actions. Convictions result in conduct. It's just the way it is. So what are we convinced of? Are we going to trust in God? Are we going to do it? Are we going to believe in Him? Now, God doesn't ask us to build an ark. Uh, He said He's not going to flood the world again. So if you see somebody building an ark, you have a little conversation with that person. But He does ask us to be obedient. To bring our lives into conformity with His Word. And so I'm just going to throw some stuff out there and we can evaluate our lives on just a few of the things that God asks us to do. It's not building an ark, but it's being obedient in the midst of a dark world. How do we live? We're supposed to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. It takes faith to order our activities, the activities of our lives in such a way that they are centered around God's priorities. Seek first the kingdom of God. And say secondarily, tertiarily, you know, we're supposed to seek first the kingdom of God. Do I order my activities around God's priorities so that spending time with Him is actually a priority? Ah, you know, I just, I'm just having a hard time finding time to spend with God, you know? Bill Hybels wrote a book, If You're Too Busy to Pray, You're Too Busy. Some of us are too busy because we're too busy to pray. And we're too busy to spend time with God. Am I willing to give up that overtime pay? Am I willing to leave work a little bit early so I can invest in doing some ministry? Am I willing to say no to some really good activities so that I can spend a little bit more time with my family and minister to them? I have a good friend, and uh, this is a brother who's self-employed, and so his income is dependent upon his work, and whatever he puts out, he doesn't, when he takes a vacation, he doesn't get paid vacation, so if he's not working, he's spending money, he's spending money, he's not making money, and for years... He has taken off time during the peak season of his busyness to go on short-term mission projects. Because he's seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then what does God say? All these things, food, clothing, shelter, will be added to us. It's not saying we have to stop our work. It's not saying we have to, but do we order our activities around God's priorities? Secondly, think about this. We're supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves. And you're going to hear more about this, I think, in the, in the weeks and months and, uh, to come about that. But, you know, uh, a few months ago, we passed out these little bookmarks. And there's some out at the Welcome Center. Love your neighbor. What if Jesus really meant it when he said, love your neighbor as yourself? No, there's a radical thought. What does it mean? It takes faith to love our neighbors. To put them first. Trusting that God will take care of us. What if God demonstrated his love towards us. And they put his love within us. And that his love within us is intended to be the power source. For us to be God to the world and love them. Practical, intentional and sacrificial love for other people. The people around us. That means our neighbors. That means our co-workers means the people 
that we sit next to in the pews in, in church to actually love them as ourselves. A little slogan that uh, is not unique to me, but is, is uh, going around. It's kind of, there's going to be a conference in September some of us are going to go to. But here's the deal. We're supposed to do good works, to build goodwill, so we can share good news. Okay. So I wonder, what at Creekside are we doing? This Easter egg hunt should be a thing in which we are doing a good work to build goodwill so that we can share good news with our neighbors and our friends. It takes faith to take time out to spend time with people rather than just on myself. It takes time. The Bible says, be generous and ready to share and store up for yourselves treasures of a good foundation for the coming age. That's Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 6. It takes faith to give financially for God's work and ministry and trust that he'll take care of us. We have a team that's headed to Haiti, and I don't know, I read in the bulletin, there's going to be this baking contest. I didn't know. We're going, maybe we're going to be on HGTV or something like that. Maybe we're going to be on the Food Channel, you know, uh, and we're going to have this bake-off and this cook, cooking contest to raise money for our team going to Haiti. What is it? Brandon Short's going to be going overseas this summer on a short-term mission project. Creekside Church has ministries and things we're doing. Are we willing to give in faith and trust that God now... How much money does it cost to build an ark? Well, I don't know. You, some of you have been there, right? The ark replica about down in Cincinnati or down in Kentucky. I don't know. Probably lots of zeros. Okay. Well, it cost Noah to build the ark. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. It takes faith for men to lead their families and to be the spiritual leader and not the spiritual, I'll get this, impeder. Okay, that means to prevent spiritual growth. Or the spiritual cheerleader. Yeah, that's it. You do it, wife. I'll, I'll stand in the back and give you the attaboys. And, and you do the... It takes faith for us, guys. I don't know of any greater challenge that I have ever personally felt than to lead my family spiritually. Satan just comes alongside and gives you every excuse in the book not to do that and challenge you oh that's a stupid idea that's a dumb nah, the kids don't want to do that I don't give a rip what the kids want to do we're doing it it may not be the right thing but that's too bad it's trying you know wives God calls you in the midst of your loneliness in the midst of your discouragement, your disappointment, you're maybe a pacifist or maybe you're the control freak. And God wants you to lovingly submit to some guy who, you know, he's just obviously imperfect. No, that's an act of God. That's something that God calls you to. That's by faith. That's the, that's the, the call of marriage. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard others as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own selfish interests, but also the interests of others. Anybody here know of someone who has been sick this winter? Or you have been sick this winter? Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a co-worker. So what happens when family member, co-worker, or friend is sick. 
Yeah, well, we'll pray for you. And then you don't pray. You hope you get to feeling better. Or do we actually take time in our families, with our friends, with our co-workers to reach out to them and pray for them? Or actually help do the dishes, prepare a meal, offer some child care? I mean, it's like it takes time. I got plans. I got things to do. I'm an important person. I'm really busy. I hope they realize that. It takes faith. Set my agenda aside. You ever been on vacation with other people? It's kind of a pain. You know, because they don't really want to do what I want to do. I mean, like, they want to drive all night, and I want to go to bed. I'm going to stop at every little monument along the way. You know, if you've ever been down the roads on South Dakota and, and Nebraska, there's lots of monuments. To nothing. I don't want to take a picture of every groundhog that comes out of the hole. I'd rather shoot him. Sorry. That'd be more fun. But you go on vacation with other people, you kind of got to do what other people do. By faith, God calls us to not think about our own interests and our own needs, but to put the interests of others at the church potluck. Ooh, that looks really good. That dessert, I'm getting that first thing. I don't even care if I go through the main line. I'm going for that dessert right there. I don't give a rip about who picks up chairs and sets up chairs as long as I have a place to sit. By faith, Noah built an ark. By faith, God asks us to live our lives in a way that puts the interests of others above the people. But that's stuff that only the Spirit of God working within us can do. See, the Spirit of God enables what God requires. It's not, it's not just, hopefully, it's not just moralism. It's not just, oh, suck it up and do better. It is the power of the Spirit of God working within us that enables us to do, do what God calls us to do. I hope that what will be said of us is true of what John MacArthur said of Noah's obedience. He did not pick and choose what to believe and what to obey. The attitude of authentic faith is reliance. The action of authentic faith is obedience and the accomplishment of authentic faith is deliverance. And there are three things that the text brings out that Noah's faith accomplished. The first one is a little bit more of an inference and the other ones are a little more direct. But first of all, our salvation is portrayed. Notice the text says in verse 7 that it was for the salvation of his household. He built an ark in obedience to God for the salvation of his household. And what I want to say is Noah's faith in building and entering the ark brought salvation from physical destruction just as our faith in Christ's death, resurrection, and burial as the payment for our sins brings us spiritual deliverance. It's a picture. 
brought through. And I could go under 1 Peter chapter 3, but I'm not going to do that. You can read it and hear about it. It's just that he was, they were brought through the water in the ark in the same way that as a person goes down into the waters of baptism and comes up, they are demonstrating and delivered uh, from the, the sin, not because of the water of baptism, but because of a right heart with God that the water and going in it demonstrates. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus says in verses 34 or 37 through 39 that upon his return, the people will be just as indifferent, they'll be just as ignorant of and just as irretrievably condemned in their sin as they were when he flooded the earth of Noah's day. It's a terrible thing. Our faith in Christ brings us Deliverance from death, just as Noah's faith in building the ark did. Secondly, our condemnation of the Lord is proclaimed. <clears throat> Notice the text says, by which he condemned the world. For 120 years, the light of Noah's life shined brightly through his exemplary life. He was blameless and righteous, that's what the text of Genesis tells us. Through his explicit warnings as a preacher. I'm not going to take you there, but you can write down 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 5. It says that he was a preacher of righteousness. So you imagine this? Many guys building the ark, and the people are coming, going, Yeah, what are you doing there, Noah? <laughs> yeah, waiting for the rain, huh? What's, what's that? Big fat chance. Oh, don't you think you should build it a little bigger? I mean, after all, there's a lot of animals in the world. And all the time he's saying, you know what? I know you're mocking me. But God is going to bring judgment. And God is giving you an opportunity to turn and repent. Do you see? I get excited about the compassion of God. I just read it yesterday in Exodus. The Lord, the Lord God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. Do you see that God for 120 years was giving these people the chance to repent? To turn from their sins so that they wouldn't be washed away and killed. And Noah, the preacher of righteousness, through his exemplary life, through his communication of the, the, the word of God, his warnings, explicit warnings, and then through this enormous building project, in both word and deed, he, he declared to the ungodly, would you turn from your sin and trust God and be delivered? That's the message that he carried in his life. And folks, the patience of God, it says, Peter reminds us, the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20. God was planning judgment but providing a way out. If you're here this morning and you're not trusting in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, guess what? God is planning judgment but he's providing a way out. Through his son, Jesus Christ. And all you need to do is turn from your sin and trust in his death. Spurgeon is right. He who does not believe God will punish sin will not believe that he, believe that he will pardon it through the atoning blood. You don't think God's bringing judgment? It's going to be hard for you to believe that God provided a way through his son, Jesus, but he did. I heard this, I thought this was interesting, that Noah may have experienced from his contemporaries what Socrates 
experience from one young skeptic in his life. And the, the skeptic says, I hate you because every time I meet you, you show me what I am. I wonder if that would be said true or be true of us. People don't like us because when they see us, we remind them of who they really are. See, the blameless and righteous life of Noah was a convicting thing in the lives of his contemporaries. Philip Hughes is correct. Those who reject Christ as Savior will meet him as judge. Our, savior, our salvation is portrayed. Our condemnation to the lost is proclaimed. And finally, our justification is procured and became an heir of righteousness, it says at the end of chapter 11 verse 7. Righteousness that comes by faith. That's the SV standard version, English standard version, that comes by faith. Now, Noah is the first person in the Bible to be declared righteous. First guy to be declared righteous. Now, how was he declared righteous? On what basis? The righteousness which comes from God always, the righteousness which comes from God always is by faith. And the righteousness which comes from God is always by faith and is always provided for by Christ. <clears throat> I said last week that Enoch was looking ahead in faith towards the crosswork of Christ in the same way that we look back on the cross. Same with Noah. Same with Noah. The righteousness which comes from God and is by faith. I want you to look what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3 verse 9. I think we have a slide of Philippians chapter 3 verse 9. And may be found in him, this is Paul's prayer, I want to be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. Now get this, the righteousness which comes from God and is by faith. The text of Hebrews 11 says that he was an heir of righteousness, which means he received something as an heir. <clears throat> and the only way to receive it as an heir, this righteousness, the righteousness of God, is through faith, and that faith is grounded in the person and the work of Jesus. Philippians, or Romans chapter 3, verse 22. Uh, another verse that touches on this. Is that Okay, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus. Christ for all those who believe. So do you see that righteousness, the righteousness of God comes to us through the person and the work of Jesus? Because the only way a human being can be declared righteous is if the righteousness of God gets put on us. The only way the righteousness of God gets put on us is through our union with the person and the work of Jesus. We only become perfect through our union with the perfect person. And so, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Thomas Aquinas put it this way, no one in any age is saved except through faith in Christ. And on the, on the basis either anticipated or fulfilled of his mediatorial work, on his work. So we either look forward, and I'm not saying that Noah and Enoch had it all figured out. Oh yeah, I'm believing in this Jesus person. No, they believed God, but they believed God and God's work and God's plan that included the person and the work of Jesus in an imperfect way. They looked forward to Jesus. But we look back with full knowledge on the person and work of Jesus. Noah didn't become righteous when he built the ark. He was righteous by faith when he built the ark and his building of the ark demonstrated the reality of his right relationship with God. His living faith was in God, and his faithful living was demonstrated 
by building the ark. The same is true for us. There was a radio disc jockey. He was on wanting to give some money away, and so he dialed a random number. And on the end of the phone line was a, a little boy. Hello, very quietly speaking. The disc jockey said, hey, yeah, I'm trying to give away some money. He says, is your, is your, is your dad there? Yeah, but he's busy. Well, what about your mom? Can I talk to your mom? She's busy too. Was there anybody else there? Any other adults that I could talk to? Well, there's a policeman. Well, well, can I talk to the policeman? No, he's busy. Well, it, will there be any other adult in the, in the room or in the house that I could talk to? Well, there's a fireman here, but he's busy too. The disc jockey goes, what in the world are all these people busy doing? They're looking for me, the little boy said. They're looking for me. God is looking. God is looking for people who will trust him. He's looking for people of faith. He's looking for us to turn from our sin and trust in his son's death on the cross as the payment for their sin so that we might be delivered from the condemnation that should come, that we might have the courage to live. Folks, if you're here this morning and you know Jesus Christ, then faith in Christ gives us confidence to face the opposition that we face every single day. You face it in your workplace. You face it as you watch TV. You face it as you listen to ads. You face it as you interact with your family, your friends. Gives us confidence to live in face of the opposition. We're comforted in knowing that one day we're going to be delivered. We have courage and compassion in confronting the darkness. It's not like we want to slam everybody who's a knucklehead. We want to be like Noah and proclaim God's righteousness and they can repent and turn and be redeemed. And we communicate forgiveness. It's possible for repentance. Only believers actually deal with. Only believers are able to dispel and only believers are delivered from the darkness. If you're this morning and, and you're saying, ah, oh, yeah, that's, that's all right, I'm... I, you can believe that if you want. My challenge to you is, listen, folks. I believe the Bible, so you can write me off if you want for that. But the Bible says that you're either going to be delivered from darkness or you're going to experience God's judgment. And I don't want you to experience God's judgment. And so I invite you and I implore you to turn from your sin and trust this Jesus who died on the cross so that you could be free. And you would have not just power over sin's consequence, but you would have purpose in life right now that transcends this life. Christ alone made it possible for us to become an heir of God's righteousness when he died as the payment for our sins. And when we break this bread and we drink this cup, which are symbols of his body broken and his blood shed, we remember that and celebrate that all who receive by faith his death as a payment for their sins become the righteousness of God in him. And we have the power to deal with 
to dispel and to be delivered from the darkness. If you're here this morning and you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I just invite you to join us as we break this bread and drink this cup. After you take a few moments to just clear your heart and cleanse your soul before God, let's pray in Jesus' name. Father, I just thank you for what you've done for us. I thank you for the life of of Noah who becomes that great example to us of uh, what it means to, to walk by faith. I thank you for his courage and I pray that you would help each of us in this room to exercise living faith in the personal work of Jesus and then give us grace and courage and boldness by the power of your spirit within us to be more faithful in living. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.